Movie Wars. Episode 0036, Trips Times 12. We find ourselves in a place we haven't been in in a while, which is Adventureland. We're making this up as we go. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 0036 of the Movie Wars podcast. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. This is your host, Kyle. That was literally going to be my quote. Are you serious? Son of a bitch. <laughs> it's, it's too good. You go ahead and say it and see if you say it better. It's not the mileage, honey. It's the years. Okay. Pick a new quote. <laughs> Do you have one there, Filbert? I do. It looks like you just got butt-fucked on National Treasure Vision, <laughs> Dwayne. <laughs> no. Wow. Strong. Made-up quote. Strong. I'm going to steal the podcast of independence. <laughs> I'm true. Beautiful. Dwayne. Beautiful. We find ourselves in a place we haven't been in in a while, which is Adventureland. I think our last adventure-based war was Jurassic Park and Jaws, right? And that was like first 10 episodes. If you like archaeology, have we got the matchup for you? It was really fun research in these two movies. You know, one of the things I learned, I was watching this documentary about Indiana Jones and about Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, the adventure genre really has a basis in what used to be called the Saturday matinee. And the Saturday matinee was typically like, it was a hodgepodge of things. The first things you would see, it was like in the 1930s, 1940s, and into the early 50s, they had these like cheesy animations at the movies. They were five cent tickets. They had food. It was like a family event and they had like short adventure films. They were all like B level. It was like TV before TV. Exactly. And it was it typically was before the main movie, they did have some Saturday matinees where they were called serial Saturday matinees where they, they were adventure films that built up. So Spielberg, definitely, when he was thinking about Raiders of the Lost Ark and Indiana Jones, it definitely was in the spirit. And he actually really intended this to be kind of a B-movie in tr the tradition of the genre. It definitely exceeds that. That explains so much. It does explain a few things. That definitely was, you know, his aim. And obviously, National Treasure occurs because of the path that Indiana Jones set, right? And we get the Uncharted series in the video games. We're not going to acknowledge the shitty movie, but, uh, you know, we get Uncharted the video game. There's just so much With influence. Tomb Raider, I think you could <clears throat> make a case that that's yeah. heavily. Oh, yeah. yeah. She's a female Indiana Jones. This is one of the the major three of the trinity of Harrison Ford too. We get, you know, later it's the Jack Ryan in the middle. You got your Indiana Jones at the beginning, at the beginning you have Han Solo. So it's fun to see uh, Harrison Ford, uh, you know, be one of those legendary iconic roles. It's amazing how many he's got under his belt and how he's impacted cinema and in impacted culture. The last thing I, I wanted to focus on was really what I observe of as a movie fan, but not someone that's really in the adventure genre. A good adventure movie, it balances, yes, the adventure, but it has action. There's got to be a little bit of romance, a little bit of comedy. A good adventure movie really kind of balances those aspects. You know, there's always going to be a little bit of a, a flair with a heroine. You know, there's going to be cheesy jokes, but good comedy. <laughs> My mind immediately was like, what is he's having an affair with heroin? <laughs> Sorry, a heroine. The poppy has found his veins. What the? F anyway, I do, I do love the balance of these things and uh, let's get right into impressions. So much fun. I mean, you kind of, you nailed it. They're just adventure action movies with, they don't miss a beat and they're romantic, they're funny, they're uh, action packed. Every couple minutes, it feels like something new is happening and it's hooking you back in. And you know, I, for me, Raiders of the Lost Ark kind of sits in that place. It's like, right, like it's old enough to feel like an old movie, but it's new enough to feel like a modern blockbuster, you know, sort of sits in that place where it like, it almost feels like timeless and yet ageless. And now National Treasure is kind of similar where it sort of feels like the end cap of the 
90s, kind of that 90s era, even though it's 2004, like it's long gone, but it sort of like still feels like that kind of heartfelt, harmless, like 90s family flick, but still feels gritty enough. Like, and there's enough for adults to sink their teeth into and not just feel like it's it's just something to take the kids to. So they were both a blast. I mean, what's not to love about these two guys? You have Nick Cage kind of like at the near the top of his run. Pre-IRS. Maybe, maybe on the way down a little bit, but still a plus list star and, and Harrison Ford at the peak of his powers just doing his thing, that rugged, prickly, handsome bastard of that he is. And I think these movies ended up being a really nice matchup. Like I, I was a little skeptical because they are in such different eras, but just that, you know, the archaeological piece, the tone of the two films pair nicely and complement each other. And I'm excited to get into it. And I did want to address a rumor. There's a rumor circulating, by the way, speaking of Nicolas Cage. There's a rumor circulating that Nicolas Cage has assumed the rights to movie wars and using it as a vanity project for himself because we've covered <laughs> Nicolas Cage for the fifth time. <laughs> yeah. So I Arnold mean, sold him, sold it, right? Three <laughs> weeks in a row. He's actually standing right next to me and he has one of his golden mm-hmm. guns to my head from Face yep. Off that, you know, he reclaimed while filming Unbearable Way to Massive Talent. He's standing right here right now. Yeah, the like, Unbearable what do you think Way about to Podcasting. Nick? I just want you to shut the fuck up and keep recording. <laughs> All right, I got it. He's got one of those golden guns with the dragon handles from Face Off to Phil's head. Anyway, I just wanted to address the rumor. It is true. Phil, it is true. impressions. I had different experiences with these two movies than I was expecting. Indiana Jones was one that I saw a lot as a kid, and I hadn't really watched it since then. And it was interesting in that you're kind of addressing of it being like an almost intentional B movie, but with like A plus special effects kind of thing made a lot of sense to me because like while watching it, you're very aware that they're on a set the whole time. There's not like, it doesn't necessarily feel like they're in Cairo or wherever the hell they are. But at the same time, that movie does an incredible job of creating an atmosphere and a vibe that's kind of undeniable. Like you're watching it and you're like, this movie just feels really good. Both these movies too, do two different things really well and they do an opposite. Indiana Jones like just really creates a vibe with the sets and the acting and the delivery and just the feel of that movie. Like you watch it and it feels good in spite of dudes being shredded apart by propeller blades and things like that. Whereas National Treasure really tells a very complete story, but it doesn't really have this identifiable feel or vibe other than like it just takes place in modern day world. And maybe that'll age out and eventually it'll feel like it has a certain vibe. But man, Indiana Jones just really nails that adventure feel from start to finish. But whereas the story is not quite as engaging or cohesive, where National Treasure just tells a really complete story, but it's kind of like doesn't have as much of a soul, I would say. So they they kind of complement each other in that way. And, and that was kind of an unexpected takeaway from this matchup. That said, they're both really interesting movies. And even though one, one thing I noticed, National Treasure has really poor reviews on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes, which is weird. And maybe that was because Unwarranted. of the decline of Nick Cage at the time. Like he was kind of on the way down. And so people were not really taking him seriously in like a non-action role. But in retrospect, I, I just feel like that criticism of National Treasure was super unwarranted. It's a really, really well-told story with a lot of really great timing, comedic relief, and it's just fun. But so. we talked about it. It came out a it came out a year before I graduated from high school. The zeitgeist in school was insane. People I mean, loved it. Yeah, we loved it. it. Everybody that I knew thought it was great. So I don't really get the Rotten Tomatoes. I don't even look. Is is it pretty poor? It's what is bad. Forty seven percent. Really? It's like audience real or low. critic or both? That's a uh, critic. So unfair. The audience score is low. That's I don't surprising. Know. Critic thing doesn't surprise me at all. It's just, I mean, this is a love letter to the United States history. Mm-hmm. Down to the yeah. Freemasons. No critic like, is going to yeah. be giving that. So I get that. Yeah. They probably did some retroactive reviews. You know, they would be like, I, you know, I said I liked it then, but you know, America sucks now. So we're going to, you know, let's burn the Declaration of Independence. It's not even worth stealing. Yeah. A national <laughs> Treasure. If you didn't enjoy that movie, you might not have a soul. So it's, 
it's, you know, you can, you can pick it apart from whatever side you want to pick it apart from. But at the end of the day, it's just really fun. It's really interesting and really engaging. Indiana Jones is Indiana Jones. So what are you going to say? I loved when they had the declaration at the house and they're like squeezing lemon juice on it and like trying to get heat and stuff. <laughs> the dad's just looking at it like, what's that document? Yeah. And he had no idea. And then he, when he found out, it was like that tension was so good. I love that. Just that trope in cinema, you know, when there's a character in the room that's oblivious and the audience is in on the secret, but the mm-hmm. character doesn't. I love just, I love those scenes. And then they had the weird like sexual chemistry between Cage and Kruger when he's like, we're going to need more juice. She's like, we're going to need more heat. And they're like leaning over, <laughs> breathing on it, on the thing together. Like, oh, it's yeah. just very awkward. But You just wanted them to breathe on each other. If right I had there, a nitpick, yeah. that was the one thing. I didn't buy their chemistry too much. I really Agreed, liked though. that he bought her the little lapel, you know, from Washington's campaign or whatever. But I didn't think those two had chemistry. I actually thought the other guy was way funnier and she would have definitely been more into him than yes. Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Great point. And the Urban Outfitters dra- dressing room, that whole thing was so forced. Have you ever you know, said you love anybody more than once? I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> that was about as cringe as face <laughs> off and he was like, I don't give a you know, just, just yeah. like That was that moment. Can for you me. please say I don't give a fuck in every episode? I don't give a fuck! <laughs> <laughs> that was that moment for Nick Cage in this movie. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, this is the third episode in a row we're covering the cage yep and we are gonna we're gonna take a departure because i need it for my soul i need to get back to my roots and we'll announce the next episode at the end let cage have his moment damn it this is not my genre um i am a i'm a person that thinks steven spielberg though and you'll love this drew these movies are like the bulls i'm not an adventure guy but i also wasn't a bulls fan until jordan and then it was like you gotta love the bulls these are those movies Mm. these are so iconic the the jaws of the world the indiana jones these are the movies that you just you respect and you love. It's it's not on my top fifty, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be on my top fifty. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be on anybody's list to be heralded for what it is. That's a great point. And I think if Spielberg had retired after, let's say, Saving Private Ryan, say he hangs up his cleats in 1998 and walks into the sunset. I mean, he is a legend. Mm-hmm. I mean, he already he still is a legend. But I think the fact that he's continued to try to crank out hits the last two decades has p- almost put more blemish on his legacy than Agreed. he should have because think about it I mean he he you could make the case that he invented the blockbuster in 1975 with Jaws he did then mm-hmm. you could make another case that he perfected it with this one he did and then you could make another case that he sort of reinvented it and uh, did it again with Jurassic Park so he did it for two and a half full decades the reason that some people feel the way about Spielberg that you do is just that he's had so many swings and so many misses and he's attached his name as a producer to so many projects that haven't been you bridged me into my next point which is great like this is where I want to see Spielberg. And Saving Private Ryan is this weird anomaly. I don't know why he was able to make that movie so freaking incredible and so so large in scale. That one, I feel like you can separate from his entire repertoire and just look at that alone as a masterpiece. It always just kind of makes me wonder if he is not as hands-on as we think he is in certain films and more hands-on in other films. Because And it's just kind of hard to find his identity as a director because when he knocks it out of the park, he knocks it out of the park hard. When he doesn't, it's bad. It kind of just makes you wonder who he really is as a director and like, you know, how much he really leans on other trusted parties to make certain things happen. Or like maybe when those other trusted parties aren't there, his movies are better. It's just hard to say, but he's a pretty polar person as far as like he either nails it or misses bad. Well, so. usually when he's trying to have a good time is when he nails it. You could point at Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan and these are, you know, even Abraham Lincoln, like those are very serious in nature. Films. 
films and mm-hmm. he crushed those. You know, and for me, I, you know, he tried to dabble into my genre when he, he tackles Philip K. Dick, Minority Report, and completely ruins the source material. You know, he's handed a gift. It was a rough you know, one. Gave him a gift. Really? See, uh, that feels harsh to me. I mean, that's probably where we differ, but I, I think he completely, you know, Ver- Verhoeven got that source material from Philip K. Dick, hits a home run, and Spielberg just completely tore the testicles off of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Storm up, stomped on completely, him. Completely an insult to us sci-fi fans. I feel like you're being harder on it now than you were on the I am. episode. It's because we're not in it, man. Yeah. Fuck Minority Report. What, were you, what, do, you, what do you think? Spielberg. About Minority Report? No, your impressions. What are your <laughs> impressions, Drew? <laughs> minority Report Total Roll Call. What did you think about that episode? <laughs> yeah. Let's do a retrospective no. on our own shit. No, I feel, I feel like I wounded you. I feel like you... No, you're... I don't care. I'm just surprised that you feel, feel that strongly. I mean, I remember Minority Report was... I mean, it's not up there with Jaws and JP, but it's fine. It's a it's a serviceable film. When that woman screams for five minutes straight. Yeah, I mean, there are glaring <laughs> problems with it, but it doesn't mean I'm that it's playing. a disgrace it's, as a movie. My opinion almost can't count. Most people aren't like avid Philip K. Dick readers, and I am. You're I'm, a dick reader. I, I mean, am. It yeah, is what I, it is. National Treasure was a movie that, in fact, I deplored the idea of it so much because as a kid, you know, I just wasn't into this genre. And I for my whole life, I thought it was National Treasurer. <laughs> oh my, I don't even know why. My whole life. It's like, I hated it so much. I thought it was like, it's like, this is a movie about, you know, the person at the Federal Reserve, you know, <laughs> you know, living in... Wait, what? Yeah, I thought I this movie... Drew in Star Trek. Oh, when I was a kid? Yeah, yeah, yeah. for so long, I thought it was National Treasurer. And then you guys, I was like, we should do National Treasure. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I was like, why have I never heard of this movie? You know, fast forward to today for this matchup. Loved it. It's a good, man. I it's had so fun. much fun with it. It's timid Nicolas Cage. Maybe one house confiscated by the IRS at this point. He's starting to numb. You know, one of the nine <laughs> houses has been taken back. But I like a chill Nick Cage. I like Diane Kruger. Yeah, I don't buy their chemistry, but I like her as an actress. Riley is hilarious. He is the the comedic, and I have a rando for this, but the comedic element of this really keeps this movie afloat. Where this movie could have fallen into some pacing issues, I think they use Riley to relieve a lot of that tension, and he does a great job. So that was a that was an unexpected surprise that I actually laughed my ass off through several scenes. Yeah, Justin Bartha. It, mm-hmm. didn't, uh, it feels like his career could have done more. Yeah, more. right. He was yeah. good. He was in The Hangover a little bit, and he did National mm-hmm. Treasure, and that's kind of it. He was in The Hangover. Well, he, it was I, his he was wedding, so right? so good in his, that. Yeah. They were his friends. He was the one that got lost, and I'll they found him on the roof. This, yes. this is the funniest commentary I ever had. It's the director, Turtle Tob, and it's it's Bartha, and they basically just make fun of each other the whole time, and they kind of play on that a little bit, mm-hmm. that his career didn't do a lot. They just make fun of it. In fact, I would like take notes on a potential rando, and then the director would say, I'm just joking, that didn't happen, and I'd have to erase it. He just kept saying things that weren't accurate, <laughs> <laughs> just for giggles. And he kept making fun of Disney because he wanted to say more crass things, but he couldn't because it was a Disney commentary and he oh, kept making wow. fun of that. Anyway, if you like commentaries, it's not only informative, but it's hilarious. <laughs> I'm just like making so much noise over here. Yeah, I'm like Phil's fucking far. broken today. Phil is uh, sniffing glue over there. Yeah, <laughs> give me more drugs. Before we get to randos, I just want to say, easiest, most fun way to help movie wars grow is to share with your friends. Share with yeah. your mom. What are you doing right now? Is to share with your friends. The Patrain. The Patron. <laughs> What is this accent? I don't know. It's, it's whatever comes out. It's the inspiration. Why? It's the heart. It's the soul. It's my truth. It's yeah, my truth coming out. Your truth out. is the only truth that yeah, matters yeah, to we you. Can all, we can have several truths. We can all have several truths. And we can all truths. keep them for ourselves. And our truth is Movie Wars is the best movie podcast out there. Nay, the best podcast out there. But uh, no, I, tomorrow I may change my truth though because I got a lot to do tomorrow. So I have, to, true. I have to find a new truth. Tomorrow my truth is laundry and sleeping. <laughs> what are we talking about? But we are talking about sharing Movie Wars is the easiest way to help us grow. A CP 
people out there posting our stuff. Thank you so much. We thank you to all the people that contribute and give us ideas and have ideas for randos and ideas for categories and matchups. Uh, you guys keep us going. So keep on sharing us. Thank you so much. Keep telling your mom about the show. Yeah, keep mailing it to your grandma. Randos of the Lost Ark. Here we go. When descending into the Well of Souls, originally they had 2,000 snakes to fill that set. I love that scene, by the way. I love his whole snake thing. He's so brave. He's so like manly and masculine. But when it comes to snakes, lights out. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> I love that about that character. It's like the thing I think of with Indiana Jones. Spielberg saw the space and they had 2,000 real snakes in there. And he saw it and he was like, this is not enough snakes. And so they're filming in London and he basically sent every stagehand, every second crew member out into every pet store in London to go out and retrieve as many snakes as they could. And they came back nine, I, there's two different counts in different documentaries, nine to 10,000 snakes oh my God. is what they ended up with. And the way, the way they kept it, because they had poisonous snakes, they had cobras and stuff. So they had plastic. It's amazing that you can't see it because uh, this is, you know, older film, but you can't see it, but there are plastic shields between like when the, the cobra head pops up with Nancy Allen and with, with Harrison Ford, yeah. there's a plastic shield separating them. 10,000 real snakes in this joint. And it was all because they went out and raided all the pet stores of London for Raiders Steven Spielberg. Because he literally store. looked in all of his might and said, there's not enough snakes here. <laughs> and it works because that scene, I don't know about you guys, I get a little queasy. Yeah. And and spiders, both those scenes, there was like yeah, a lot of creepy crawlies. On his back. Why is the floor moving? <laughs> and yeah. what was that? There was some fun moments in those that like when the guy that he was with basically points out that there are snakes and he goes, snakes? And he's like, yep, you first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> moments like that. Another rando going into this. So you, we all mentioned that the B movie aspect, I know Phil and I, you and I were talking about the the feel of this movie. You know, Yeah, it had like some weird pacing. It did things. have some weird pacing like stuff. It, it didn't move at a pace that was mm -hmm. easy to track with. Yeah, there are some pacing things with this movie and it obviously overcomes it with its, with how iconic it is. But Steven Spielberg talks about how much pressure he felt to come in under budget and under timeline. He was earning a reputation and, and I don't know if this was prescribed to him or if he was putting this on himself, but because Jaws went over 100 days and doubled the budget. 1941 went way over budget and way over schedule. He felt this immense amount of pressure to get a movie under budget and under time. And so he said, I'm going to do that. And he thought that this would be a great genre to do it with. And that's why he leaned into the B movie nature of the adventure genre, because he thought it would be a great genre for him to show because he was starting to get this reputation to someone that couldn't deliver as a director. Yes, he makes great movies. He thought studios might start to reject him if he couldn't come in under budget and come in on time. And that's actually why he says he brought in George Lucas, because he thought George Lucas was someone, um, even when he sounds incredibly stupid talking out of his beard hole, um, he thought he was someone that could help him deliver and help consult him on delivering movies on time and under budget. And it actually worked. There were certain filming sessions where they wrapped up early. Like they were able to go from Tunisia, the Tunisia filming, which is where the swordsman scene takes mm. place in the chase. They were able to move from that set to London three days early because of changes they made. And he came in under budget. So he actually was able to do that. But I do wonder, we talked about later, you know, with some of the swings and the misses, obviously he did incredible grand things like Saving Private Ryan. But how did this mindset, because yeah, went over a hundred days on Jaws, double the budget. Who cares? It's one of my absolute favorite movies yeah, of all time. One it's of one, the, of the best, one of the best ever made. freaking movies ever made. I'm like, sure, go over budget. So did this self-consciousness, how does this come into play? That's a question I'm asking myself hearing him talk about it. You know, did this... Well, one, one of the things that I, I think that yeah. was really important about having uh, George on board was that he really helped 
help Stephen, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, who I, is uh, that? George that's Lucas. George Lucas, that's how he sounds like, yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, then you, know. you refer to George as the yeah, third he's referring to himself. Well, he's very arrogant, so just, he refers to himself you know, in third person. I just person. need to talk out on my beard hole I, for I a just, minute. Just, how many times is he going to say beard hole? Over, <laughs> over, under on that. It's a little easier to film this type of film than it is to make a movie that takes place on water in his defense. But, I mean, kudos to him to have that kind of self-awareness. He was obviously listening to the people in his life or the people writing his checks, you know, being studios, but like to basically make a stage play for all intents and purposes and put it on rails and turn it in on time. Like that's probably, it was a good move for him. And then he ended up continuing to be drawn to this project because he did the other two. It would have been easy for him to move on and do his own thing. It's not like he didn't have other opportunities. How did Spielberg never do a Star Wars movie? That's what I want to know. Yeah, they should have swapped. Think about that. He worked with Lucas on these. He ended up, you know, he did E.T. <coughs> and maybe co-directed Poltergeist. We don't really maybe. know. Yeah. But like 30, Close Hooper. Encounters of the Third Kind. Just It seems weird that those two worlds never intersect. It's important to note that I just ate an olive from a vodka martini that Phil and Drew made me and it was incredible. It was the best olive I've ever eaten. Team effort. Next, Rando. Uh, George Lucas's dog inspired not just this film, but another film. So originally, Indiana Jones's name was Indiana Smith. Harrison Ford. Boo. Or, yeah, yeah, I know. Not as good. Boo! <laughs> be funny to do an experiment if they would have A-B'd it like in one country it's Indiana Smith and in another it's Indiana Jones and like Smith plummets just because of the name like Indiana Smith was yeah. it Spielberg that came in and was like bro Smith be- is a dumb name yeah and his his problem was it was 1966's Steve McQueen western Nevada Smith he thought it was a little bit too close to that um, and so George Lucas looked to his dog named Indiana to name him after so his dad has a dog named Indiana and so that's how he named Indiana Jones and this dog also the way it looks it's I, an Alaska an Alaskan Malamute. That's the breed and apparently it looks really fuzzy and it inspired the way Chewbacca looks. Apparently George Lucas, when he's talking out of his beard hole, only looks to the dog for inspiration. Apparently this dog died, which is why his creativity tapered off in later years. And, <laughs> you know and, what? Uh, Maybe there is a coinciding with the dog death and his ability to make mm-hmm. films that people care about. The dog died and he had to fly Han Solo into other projects and uh, yeah. do them alone. <laughs> What's a better character name? Indiana Jones or Johnny Utah? Johnny Utah, of course. <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is Every question. I mean, this is the I mean, end episode. Star quarterback Fine. for Ohio State. <laughs> One of the most interesting scenes in the movie to me was the the effects they used for the melting skull scene. It's a very, you know, it was very graphic. Again, we get into this with Jaws, too. They didn't have the same rating system we have today. This is a PG movie. It's got rotting skulls, melting flesh everywhere. Mm-hmm. My wife did not want to watch this movie with me because she said she saw it when she was six and the melting faces traumatized her. Really? Wow. She did not really? want to watch it. And I don't hold it against it. I mean, Terminator, the claymation doesn't stand up either. I don't hold it against it, but it is pretty incredible how they they came up with it. Spielberg basically walks in the room with the effects guys, like, here's the scene, here's how it's going to happen, figure it out. And then they were like, how are we going to do it? He's like, I don't know, just do it. I don't know, I don't care, just have it ready by Thursday. It sounds like pretty typical big-time director stuff. I don't know, figure it out. And so the skull itself was made of carved stone, and they used a dental mold for the flesh. So when they made the mold, they put a casting over the actor's face, and uh, Ronald Lacey is the actor, and this prosthetic was made of dental mold they made of teeth. The way they got the blood was, is the, so he had a gelatin and you're like, we don't know how we're going to get this thing to melt and like melt at the speed we need it to and so yeah. he created a gelatin that melted. It was, and it didn't exist before apparently based on what I understand from my research and this gelatin had and he painted it in different colored layers to be darker blood as it melted and so this ge- gelatin created for the movie was painted in layers and it dried and then they used two propane heaters and so they have the skull sitting between two propane heaters but it took 10 minutes for the 
the thing to melt. It was supposed to happen just like that. It ended up taking 10 minutes. So they had to speed the film so up. So they then yeah. had to take the film back and speed it up. And so, but the That's fact- That's why it looks so funny when it's coming off. The reason I love this rando is like, doesn't it just speak to the ingenuity of filmmaking? Like Steven Spielberg says, make it happen. These guys are like, uh, and they come up with it and yeah. it happens and it works and it traumatized your wife. Last big rando. And a lot of people are going to listen to this be like, I know that already. But remember, some people don't know this. There's a big long story behind the scene with the swordsman. Originally, the swordsman was supposed to be a long duel. It was supposed to be a lot of bullwhip. There was supposed to be five more guys fighting Indiana Jones. In fact, the British stuntman that was a sword man, sword, swordsman prepared for like three or four months to do all of this choreographed work. Well, dysentery had ran rampant. The only person that didn't get sick from dysentery on set was Steven Spielberg. Harrison Ford was only wonder. able to film for 10 minutes at a time before needing to run back to his trailer. And so they did a rehearsal two to three hours the night before they were filming this scene in Tunisia. And Spiel and so they do this two to three hour long rehearsal. The next day, uh, Harrison Ford shows up and tells Spielberg, he's like, what if I just shoot the guy? No fighting, no bullwhip, well, no nothing. Well, because it was like, I've got a gun. He's got yeah. a sword. Why wouldn't I just shoot him? He's like, why don't I just shoot him? Spielberg's like, I agree. And it was, and not only that, it also played into Spielberg being able to shave off three days. It was going to take three days to film this, this choreographed fighting scene. And in Spielberg's mind, he's like, we got to save money. I got to do this thing. And so he was like, sure. And it, it did. It got him yeah. to, from Tunisia to England three days early. So that's the origin. It was all because of dysentery because Ford could not stop going to his trailer to shit every 10 oh, minutes because of dysentery. So that's why that scene is the way it is. This was all because they were just in Tunisia and drinking water they weren't used to or what? Yeah, I yeah, I don't know if it was the water or the food. It was kind of like in Total Recall when they were in Mexico City and and remember Verhoeven was like bent over in between scenes. He was like bent over sick while they were filming. Poor British stuntman though. A lot of people talk about it in post about how they feel bad that this guy like, if this was like his life's work. This was supposed to be his big thing and they literally just shot him. Like none of the none of the fighting, none of the bull whips. And to tell you, I mean, so basically every page of a screenplay is one minute. That's the average. So like three and a half script pages were written dedicated to the scene. So that's how many pages they eviscerated just for Harrison Ford to shoot the guy. I think so. it worked out for the better. It was a, it, like that scene is so iconic because so, it's like yeah. it's it's like rational. Like this guy's swinging a sword around. Harrison Ford's like fuck you, just shoots the guy, and that's the end. It's like eh, you and your sword tricks can. And I could go more, but I gotta cut it off. This is such an iconic film. We could get into taxi driver territory, but now we're going into national randoers. Treasurer. Yes. National treasurer. National pleasure. You you and I talked, and I think you did too. We talked about how much we love Riley, how refreshing he was. We weren't the only ones. So uh, the original cut of this movie, when they screen tested it or test screened it, uh, there was a lot less of Riley. They had a lot of outtakes, a lot of deleted scenes, but the few scenes they did have in there, they said the words they used to describe it tested off the charts. They demanded more Riley, so they actually went back and added a ton more scenes of Riley with his jokes and his humor. So what we're actually seeing is a different film than the original test screening because they added all these scenes back. One mm. of those is when Riley goes in that long scientific rant at the very beginning when they're in the North Pole. So good. That wasn't in the original cut. They added it back because like we want more Riley and so they're like, like well I'm no expert but then proceeds to be a complete yes. expert. <laughs> and it's so funny and so they were they looked for all these opportunities so they added a ton of Riley back for this. Uh, that makes sense and mm -hmm. you feel that like in moments like at the end when he's he goes up to that big statue like it's a big green weird guy yep. with I'm a funny goatee <laughs> I'm so happy to see you like it just kept going and then he hugs him it's like it just lingers that was a weird scene it's like this yeah. clearly was deleted and they put it back you know and and just a little mental exercise close your eyes and imagine the movie without him it's not the same movie mm -hmm. it is such a weird little he's a tone setter for it, sure yes it just adds because you know we got Cage usually Cage is, is filling up all the space he's chewing yeah. up all the it scenery. becomes municipal treasure. Like, yeah, it's not yes, national <laughs> treasure. International. 
Yeah. Well, Cage could have, without him, he could have come across a little like self righteous and like, yeah. n- like nerdy and aloof. I don't know. I think he just, the, Martha kind of like grounded him a little bit. This rando, it comes from an old friend from an old episode, Mr. Caleb Deschanel, the legendary, one of the greatest cinematographers, father to Zoe Deschanel, who, uh, The Natural, was where he got his big, you know, one of his biggest movies. So the set under the North Pole was filmed in a warehouse, in a, a frozen fish warehouse, and it was set to a really low temperature so that, that, because the only thing they couldn't emulate was the breath, and they were like, we can't let that look fake, because everything else is fake, so the, the ice that builds up on all the stuff, yeah. all the, like, the, the skeleton and all the furniture that's down there, that's wax. So wow. if, so the cool thing is a lot of that stuff is left over from a film that came out the year before, Pirates of the Caribbean. Disney shipped over a bunch of those leftover skeletons from says like, we didn't end up using no these. Way. Do you want to use them? So yeah, those skeletons that have all the wax buildup on them that's supposed to be ice, those are Pirates of the Caribbean. That's amazing. All designed by the Please legendary Caleb Deschanel. Go check out his filmography. He's he's incredible. John Turtletob, the director, Turtletob. didn't <laughs> want Gates to carry a gun because A, he thinks fewer heroes should have guns, but he also wanted for, to force Gates to get out of situations in different ways and weird ways. We've heard this before with John McTiernan and a couple mm-hmm. other directors, but I really, when I heard him say this on the commentary, thinking that makes sense because when he holds up the bulletproof glass, instead of shooting back, he doesn't have a gun. So instead, yeah, how great of a device and... was that to use the bulletproof glass of the deck, the artifact that you need, one of the most valuable artifacts, the fact that he yeah. had the brain to know this is bulletproof. I love, that was my one of my favorite scenes. So shout out, Mr. Turtletob, John Turtle. Top, <laughs> Am I not turtly enough for the turtle top? Uh, the rotunda of the National Ar- Archives is where they filmed. Um, Drew doesn't like any of my jokes today. I didn't. I, yeah, I didn't get it. Yeah, I think well, that was from Master of Disguise. I don't know. That's a bad movie. Uh, here's here's what I learned from being a failed comedian: if they don't laugh, it's your fault. It is. It's it is my fault. Yeah, you know, it's a bad joke. Sometimes you go out and make fun of you know the bad wa- joke, bad Phil. Sometimes, bad joke. sometimes you go out and you make fun of the Waffle House killer, and you find out someone in the crowd's friend got shot by that guy, and they heckled yeah. you. That happened to me once. It was rough. So last rando here, the rotunda of the National Archives was set in an exact replica. They did not want them filming in there because they were like, you cannot <laughs> set fire to this place. Because, you know, Fair lighting enough. and stuff causes fire because it's so bright and stuff. Stuff happens. Yeah. They're like, you cannot set any of this stuff on fire. But one of the things that Bartha and uh, and Turtle Top talk about on the commentary is how impressive it is. The fact that, that the murals are painted, the replica is incredible. And one really funny thing is they said when they were remaking a, uh, a Declaration of Independence for the movie, they actually made the print brighter because they said when you look at the real Declaration of Independence, it's not legible anymore. Like, you really can't distinguish mm. it. So they actually <clears throat> had to make the signatures and the writing all brighter and more distinguished so you could actually read it. I have a rando for you guys. Please, rando me. National Treasure, Edge of History is a TV series that comes out on Disney Plus starring Justin Bartha. Really? December 14th. Ooh. No way! Unfortunately, Nicolas Cage is not in it. He's too busy being unbearable, weighted. Yeah, yeah. His massive talent. They did film in the real life Library of Congress, though, which was funny. I was thinking, I was like, it's hard to imagine any of our congressmen reading a yeah. book. But <laughs> you know? Much less from a library. We need a whole library for those people. I mean, the only thing that lastly here, Trevor Rabin was the composer for this, the guitar player for a little band called Yes. So No. Yeah. The yes. guitar player for Yes turned composer. No. Yeah. No. Wait. No. Wait. Yes. No. What? Yes. Shall we swing from a bullwhip? Let us. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? Drew, with that top bill cage, you got to get it out, man. Get that bullwhip out. Get that freaking out pad over here. Bullwhip it over here, man. You get that top bill cage, man. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
that was a ride. I didn't know when it was going to end. I went from Southern to like monkey. Harrison Ford and Karen Allen or Nicolas Cage and Diane Kruger. Filskis. I don't want to go first. Okay, I'll go first. This was a tough category. I actually think the acting is exquisite in National Treasure. I think they do a great job. I'm not saying it's Coppola levels or anything like that, but exquisite. Exquisite. It's real yeah, fun. It's Bo true. Both generous. Of these, here's what I'll say. Both of these movies actually, yes, exquisite was an exaggeration. I don't know why the hell I said that. I don't even say that word regularly. It's the martini. It was fantastic. I want another one. Both of these movies, what they accomplished for me was, I'm not a fan of the genre yet. I did feel transported. I think National Treasure, the acting was fantastic, but I give it to Raiders because I just felt like, I didn't feel like I was watching acting. I just kind of was so bought into the world. They did such a good job world building. I knew it was fiction, but like, like Sala is a great example, his character. I just kind of felt like I was in the world. I never questioned where I was or taking me on an adventure I would never go on personally, would never be invited, wouldn't want to go. I want to stay inside, love air conditioning. But I just loved how I was being transported by that cast. So I do go Raiders here. To me, you can sum up this category by pairing the two romance scenes. Mm -hmm. In National Treasure, you have the awkward, weird scene where they're changing. To me, felt really cringy. So them as a top build couple, I just didn't buy them. The whole, In fact, the whole time, I was hoping that she would fall in love with Bartha because I thought he was so much more cunning. I love that. Uh, and then you look at the other scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is when after he's injured, injured and, yeah. and she's like, you know, just tell me where it hurts. And he was like, it right there. Yeah. And she kisses it. And where else? He's like, here, a little bit here. Like, and then you just like, she starts kissing him all over and you could see like him just melting it like mm, into her. True. I felt that. I was so invested in them as a couple from that moment on. So to me, it's not close. Dude, Raiders. Drew, I love it when you do things like this. You just nailed it. Like I, I didn't really have that thought, but now that you pointed out, that was such a, you know, he's in pain. Jones is in so much pain. And that's where the quote came from. You know, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Such a yes! great quote. Oh, that line is so good. They're, they're, they have attention because they don't she doesn't like him necessarily like she doesn't respect him like when you first meet her she's like she's not so he's not someone that she was excited to see but at the end of the day they they're in circumstances and their romance felt like it was born out of that and mm. it was playful and she was a new actress like she had a, a huge theatrical background but she hadn't done cinema and so the fact that she was able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe in these really intricate romance movies which, which is why i said earlier that's why a great adventure film is a balance of adventure action romance and comedy the romance element is so good in Indiana Jones it and it's not sexualized it's right. not over the top it's classy yep. it just kind of delivers and I totally I love that point thank you for framing it up yeah my vote doesn't matter but um, I go Raiders for a different reason I just couldn't get over how often Harrison Ford had a lot of very realistic uh, emotional reactions to things that were going on around him the scene that I would point to is when he is driving that giant truck that has the Ark of the Covenant in the back of it and he's just laughing his ass off at knocking cars off the road. And I feel like <laughs> while you might look at that and be like, oh, it's easy to do that. I feel like little moments like that get lost in movie making where like if you're being chased by smaller vehicles, one, you would knock them off the road and you would have this kind of like, haha, fuck you laughter about it because these guys are trying to take you down and you're in this giant truck and you're just like shoving them into freaking trees and off cliffs and shit. And so Harrison Ford just has always played. He does the, the smug humility thing really well. Mm. Uh, 
Um, and and it was just on full display in this movie, and it was just peak Harrison Ford. So I go, right is the it's lowest real fucking hard to bet against Harrison. Here. It really is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I know we kind of unpacked this last time we did a Harrison Ford movie, but just the man's run from yeah. 1973 to 1993 and beyond was just unbelievable. Like what he was able to accomplish, and he was really like he dominated movie stardom for those mm-hmm. two decades. And um, it's one of the reasons I love doing this podcast because I didn't, I never really thought of Harrison Ford a lot until you kind of like, because you know, I know you don't keep a list like I did, but you said if he did have a list, Harrison would be way up there. And I loved him in Rollerblade, you know, because I'm a huge, that's another Philip K. Dick piece of literature. Did I say that right? Blade Runner? Blade Runner, Rollerblade. I loved him in... (laughs) Sorry. I was like, what I love the- watching Let his me, uh, thick ass thighs uh, rollerblade down the Phillip. sidewalk. I loved him in Blade Runner, um, another piece of Philip K. Dick literature that I love. But then after that, I was like, well, he's just, you know, whatever. And then it took Drew kind of opening my eyes. And now I watch him through Drew's eyes and I get it. Like the there's a sexiness there, there's a masculinity there, and I love the fugitive. When we did that, like I that's where I really was like, okay, I dig this. I get why Drew likes Harrison Ford. So anyway, thank you for opening yeah. my eyes. Well, it's that every man wants to be him, every woman wants to be with him thing. Like he's got that like just rugged he's almost cranky in every movie yeah, yes. but you like it and you root for it anyway you kind of want to see him get in a good mood by the end of the movie like that's kind of what you're just hoping for the whole time so I'll tell you what boys I might drive a Toyota but I'd drive that Ford <laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Drew, I need anyway. you to turn over the iPad I'm and apply today. lemon juice and heat to it. And read us that support the cast, man. Do it. Oh I think we need God. some more juice. Uh, and more heat. I more. said it. Apply heat to it. And more but heat. Guys, I got to be honest with you. This is not a close category. No, it's not. Raiders of the Lost Ark. We've got Paul Freeman, John Riss Davies, Ronald Lacey, Denholm Elliott, Alfred Molina. Alfred Molina. A young Alfred Molina. Sorry, mm-hmm. I just... Just put the put that together. Uh, National Treasure. You've got Justin Bartha, Sean Bean, John Voight, Harvey Keitel, and Christopher Plummer. Yeah, this is tough. Drew, why don't you start Ooh. us off? Oh my God. <laughs> National Treasure. I mean, first mm-hmm. of all, Justin Bartha, that might be one of my favorite supporting roles ever. At least, like, you know the term com- like comedic relief? Yeah, of course. Yes. He's like, the he's a clinic. He's a poster yeah. child for comedic relief and all these like serious moments. He's constantly cutting the tension and like reminding yeah. you, hey, this is a Disney movie. It's okay to enjoy it. You're having a good time? Time. Let's all let's all <laughs> so smile and ign- admit we're having a good time. Yeah, it's history, but it's still fun. Like that, he just like is there to just deliver on every point. And I mean, <clears throat> then you just got a bunch of legends. Yep. I mean, just to me, that weights the movie. Like when you got Kaitel showing up and Christopher Plummer and you know, John Boyd. These guys are like heavy hitters. So to take this script yeah. and you just feel like you're in good hands when these guys come on. It's the true. Screen. And it's cool to see John Voight play like the young dad and just age up. And he got kind of softer in his old age, which was kind of neat to see. So. I don't know. I enjoyed it. I just thought that cast was there. and I love that, Phil. I completely agree. A National Treasure, the, the supporting cast in that all but made that movie, I'll say, like, Nick Cage. I felt like, oddly enough, he stood out by being less intense in National yes. Treasure. Like, if Face Off was peak insufferable Nicolas Cage, National Treasure was peak rational Nicolas Cage. Yeah, and he so, does it well. He does it really well. I don't know why I'm talking about Nicolas Cage right now, other than the fact that I really would agree that the supporting cast in National Treasure was far stronger for a million, a million reasons. Like like I said, they all but made that movie. But I do have a bone to pick with fucking Sean Bean and here's why. You cannot spell your first name and your last name the same way and pronounce them differently. <laughs> it's either fucking Sean Bond or it's Scene Bean, alright? <laughs> 
Like, I, I was so angry watching this movie, thinking about how this motherfucker gets away with spelling two different names the same goddamn way and pronouncing them differently. He walks around and he's like, hello, I'm Sean Bean. And it's like, dude, it's S-E-A-N-B-E-A-N. He's fucking Sean Bond to me from this point forward, and I refuse to refer to him as anything else. I kind of I kind of prefer Scene Bean. Scene I like Bean. Bean. Dude, Scene Bean, yeah, Sean Bond. His parents, Pick one. His oh, parents should good. be questioned. I mean, his parents might be some of these people, you know, they, they work at the hefty bag factory too long, and they, <laughs> the only time they take creative license out is to name their child. You know, and they don't think about the dire consequences. But Kyle, you don't understand the hefty bag factory. The seal is, it turns purple when you seal it. It's, it's very important. How do they pick the color of the ties? You ever think about that? I wish they'd given Kaitel more. All he said the whole movie was, well, somebody's got to go to prison. It's like, yeah. is that all you got for Harvey Kaitel? He's, he's done, They man. don't talk about Kaitel a lot here. He has so much gravitas as an actor. He must have just loved this idea because he kind of just comes in. He doesn't do a lot, you know, like he, he, he's in this movie, but he doesn't like, he doesn't put forth like sport the pimp from Taxi Driver energy here. You know what I mean? No, or well, he's a federal agent. He's very chill. He must have just liked the idea. He's like, yeah, I'd love to do that. Maybe, you know what it is. What a lot of actors say is after they do all their vile, sexual, violent shit, when they start having kids, like, oh, I wanted to make one movie my kid could see. <laughs> That yeah. is so what the that makes yes. sense. This was for the grandkids. That's yeah. Such a Hollywood cliche. Well, I just needed one movie my kid wouldn't revile me over. So um, now that we've pounded uh yeah. Raiders into the ground because their supporting cast suck a well, lot. I'll just go, I'll Where go real you quick. Go? You guys have said it all, but dude, Bartha, unexpected. When I, I went into this movie, <laughs> not really having high hopes. I laughed a lot. Um you know, apart, I like K you know, Cage and uh, oh sorry, Cage is top bill cast, but I do like well, Fuck that. Will you cut this? Kruger, that's cop Bill Cass. Why am I getting into that? So let me pull up. I did do, a, when you were gone, a long thing about Nick Cage, and then I was like, wait a second. He's not the supporting cast. But... <laughs> This is just way off tonight. What I will say <laughs> is that I love John Voight. I'm a big Deliverance fan. I like him in Enemy of the State. I don't necessarily dig his cast here, but Bartha is enough to cancel out Voight, but I do think Voight, like, and he, he does fine, but there had to have been a better option here. I know what they were going for, and I don't think Voight necessarily kind of got to that kind of burnt out, you know, burnt up, washed up old dad that's been to the treasure hunt and failed. Like, I just didn't get those vibes. F. Marie Abraham. That's who. I thought he was as kind of as mean and crotchety as Disney as a Disney movie would ask. You're right. This and is, I believed him as a Nicolas Cage father, visually. Like, I, he looks like he yeah. could be Nick Cage's dad. That's a good point. I, and I forget, I'm operating in the Disney universe, not the Scorsese universe, and that's my problem, not Disney. It's so true. I often, when I see Kaitel, I instantly think, whose head is he going to cut off? You know? You know? And that's not what we get here. Disney <laughs> zooms... I'm sorry. I was going to say, Disney zooms in on the most happy, pleasurable people in society and just like digs in on that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, when we sat down to watch these movies, I was thinking, oh man, Kyle, we're about to watch a couple of PG family movies. Kyle's not going to enjoy these. I'm handling it pretty and well. And then somewhere in the, you know, an hour into Raiders, you know, the, the guy's head got chopped off by the plane <laughs> propeller and blood splattered. Everyone was like, okay, Kyle My favorite scene in that movie. All right. yeah. My favorite scene. You know what? Rambo 3 knocked that off. Rambo 3 has a scene exactly almost like that. Rambo's fighting a dude who's much bigger. It's a great, it's a great And trope. punches him Why into not? a propeller. It's so, a great way to die. I want to die that way. Yeah, that was, uh, that was pre-PG-13. That's why you've got, a, that's why Jaws, you almost see a naked chick at the beginning. It's rated PG. PG. I mean, yeah, and dude, they, they gave these folks room to breathe on the ratings here <laughs> back in the day. I love it. I it, think PG was more, because it stood for parental guidance. So yeah, a lot of people, like there was general audiences, this is for everybody, and then there was like, this 
is you need to be careful. And then there's like, definitely don't show the kids. To that, I say, have you met my parents? (laughs) No guidance to be had. This was a Drew category, and I love this. It's one-to-one. Best relic, the Declaration of Independence or the Ark? Phil, you look like you want to go first. I I don't know that I'll believe this tomorrow, but I had an emotional connection to the Declaration of Independence when it came on the scene, even though it was definitely a replica and it was definitely... Like, there was something being driven home about the idea of this document that essentially defined the initial creation of the United States of America, that this document in its original form exists in a preserved state somewhere with this handwriting on it and these signatures. And it's it's just so important. And, and like just the thought of, of removing that and even just like if I got to see that in person for real, like without the, the covers over it, just how what an incredible uh, responsibility and, and privilege that would be. And uh, so that like there's something emotional attachment with the Declaration of Independence that I thought was amazing. So I go that way just solely because I just thought that was a really kick-ass artifact. Whereas, like, the Ark of the Covenant, who even knows if that exists? I mean, who even knows if the Declaration of Independence exists? But, like, we like to believe it (laughs) does. And conspiracy theory. You know. Yeah, and I'll I'll go next. You know, I, and one thing I didn't talk about supporting cast, and the Ark comes into play here. It kind of feels like one, the only thing I have, uh, one of the few things I have against Raiders is, we couldn't think of a great villain, Nazis. But these guys, like, I just don't get Nazi vibes. These are not Operation Paperclip guys to me. Here's, you know what I mean? You know why? It's because I feel like Spielberg told all of them, if you say Fraulein a lot, change your V to Z, yes. everybody's just going to assume you're German. These so it's like, were, listen here, Fraulein. They fe- the arc is the blah, blah, blah. It's these like, were not okay. pleasant Nazis. Anyway, but I do like the fact that they hit on the idea that the Nazis were actually in real life during World War II. They were going out and heisting billions of dollars worth of art and precious statues yeah. and things from... So that that does play on it. But the arc, they needed an arc to carry the 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 Ten Commandments. I'm like, that's a lot of work. I don't understand. Like, they're, you're kind of just forced to accept that they open the ark and the flames come and burns people. And Harrison Ford randomly remembers a scripture to not look towards the ark and they're saved. Like, there was a lot there. Like you said, the fact that the Declaration of Independence was used as a bulletproof vest, as a shield for Nicolas Cage at one point was fantastic. I love the reverence. I love how John Voight was like accidentally handling it and didn't know. He's like, oh my gosh. I love how they used it. I love the, the patriotism that's really injected into that movie so for that reason I do go national. It had a lot of gravity. It did. The Declaration of Independence like there was a gravity to that artifact in that film where there I didn't feel like that gravity existed in Raiders for the the Lost Ark. And I think there was a combination I think we had Chill Nick Cage who was doing a great job delivering lines yeah Chick Cage Chill Nicholas Cage really delivering some convincing dialogue about what it means and what these artifacts stand for and the combination of those two things really did it for me so. What's it called in movies when everybody's chasing after it. That's a term. There's a term for like, oh, yeah. when everybody's, it's just the thing that everybody, it's like in Marvel, the Infinity Stone is like the, there's a lingo term that oh, in film dude. That, where like if everybody's chasing after something, that's it, called what it is. Anyway, whatever that word is, which I'll think of it in like 10 minutes. To me, that's all the arc was. Like there was no emotional connection. Nobody really cared. Even in the like classroom setting, like the two pr- professors were like, so what is this again? Like, or, yeah. or they weren't professors, but the two professionals talking 
to Indy about it. They were like had to explain to them what it even is. Like there was just not a lot of awe and respect for it. Whereas to y'all's points, the declaration, there was like gravity is a great word. And like the, I've said it before and I'll say it again. This movie is a love letter to United States history. At every turn, it's like kneeling in reverence at our all the history that took place. I mean, the password was Valley Forge. You know, when mm-hmm. like he grabbed his dad's book, that he kept a couple hundred dollars in there and it was Thomas Paine's Common Sense. Just everywhere you look, like when they were in the room, you know, he had stopped and took a beat and said, the last time this was here, it was being signed. Like it was just like educating the audience at every turn, like, whoa, this That's is like something cool to really be appreciated. Yeah. You know, and even when they were going in, like how it's stored and how it's manicured and how it's taken care of, like all these things that's telling the audience, like this is like something to behold and we're not taking this lightly. And I really appreciated that. They did it you so know, well. I, I just don't think this movie gets made today. I was fixed to say, if this was 2022, it wouldn't be Cage and Bartha, it would be Amy Schumer and Sandra Bullock and they wouldn't be trying to, to <laughs> save the declaration. They would be trying to burn it or rewrite it to reflect the values of today. <laughs> that oh would be today's gosh, national treasure. I'm actually kind of curious to see what Disney does with this series. I was shocked by how it didn't mince words. It was very much into the, even with the Freemason stuff. Which Dude, I, I, I actually respected the hell out of how ballsy they were about the Freemason thing because they that is what it was. Like, and it's got right. this weird mystical thing that's, you know, like, oh, the Freemasons, they, you know, dress in bird costumes and fuck each other in the woods or whatever, the, like the legend is now or whatever. I probably well, yeah, it's because we live in a world where we completely illegitimize people who, quote unquote, believe in conspiracy theories. But, you know, it's like there are reasons why conspiracies exist because there are secret organizations like the Freemasons are heavily documented. They're people, they exist. Yeah, it's a real thing. Yeah, well, instead of, I, I just respected the fact that instead of like keeping that entire movement and brotherhood enshrouded in weird mysticism, they just talked about the origins of it and what it was boldly. No. And I like, I appreciated that because it's important, you know? Although I, I did want to say one thing. I did give it to the National Treasure, but I did want to give a little edge to Raiders. I did like, even though they didn't necessarily have an emotional connection with the Ark, I did like that Harrison Ford's not a believer or Indiana Jones is not a believer. He says, you know, it's all superstition. At the end, he is forced to face what is the supernatural. So I do think that does play a little bit. You're right, there is no connection and it definitely wasn't one enough. It wasn't enough for me to pick it in this category, but I do like that early on he's not a believer, but he is faced with what would be considered to be the force of yeah, God. Yeah, that's end. character development. That was kind of cool how yeah, they... that's great. Wow, it is two to one national treasure. Some people are losing their shit right now. I know there's a lot of people listening to this thinking there's no way, but you remember, these categories, straight from my ass. And when the ass is deciding, who knows? Yeah, and when the ass is in action. So this is the category I was looking forward to. One thing you can't deny about either of these movies, great set pieces, great settings, great location, best sets and locations. I feel like there's a few different ways to interpret They this both one. did this very well. You can, in, you know, for me, like you can include underneath the church as a set piece in National Treasure at the end. Well, to me, one has better set pieces and the other has better locations. So that's tough. I'll interpret it however I want. This is our podcast. And y- say, use your ass. I actually would go. So let me start here. National Treasure. I mean, you've got all the splendor of the nation's heritage of Washington, D.C., and you're at the archives and the Lincoln Memorial and the Library of Congress and like, I actually don't think they did enough with what they had. I feel like it, they, it was cool, but it could have been better. So I'm going to interpret it the other 
other way and say which one had the best sets. And I think Raiders have the better sets when it comes to just, uh, you know, to Phil's point earlier, he said it always felt like you were on a set. It almost felt like a stage play being filmed in a, in a positive way. Like it felt like, oh, this is a, an intentional decision creatively that's being made. There, we're, we're watching kind of a play, you know, when he's being pursued by the boulder. Like it's clearly the boulders rolling down, a tr- you know, on rails and like, you know, but it's fun. It feels like it's supposed to be that way. And somehow you still f- you still feel the thrill of the peril that he's in, even in that setting, which I think would be a tough thing to accomplish. So I'm going to go Raiders in this one. Good analysis. Filskis. Um, I think I'm going to go National Treasure for a different reason altogether. Um, National Filsurer. Yes. Fill my treasure, everyone. <laughs> um, I really appreciated in National Treasure how they added significant interest to what I knew maybe younger people would consider to be really boring national monuments like uh, the Independence Hall in Philadelphia and the Liberty Bell and all these things by wrapping them in like additional lore and additional kind of like mystery and things like that. How they used the placement of the sun at these different times to emphasize different structural aspects of Independence Hall and how it cast a shadow on this brick. Like it kind of made you want to go to those places and see them again. Like because I've uh, I grew up going to Philadelphia every summer because a lot of my family's from up in that area. And and so I've been to a lot of these places, but it's been a long time. And watching this movie again, I was like, man, I really want to go check out like some of these amazing, historically relevant places that are cornerstones to our nation's history. And, and the way they like added in those little extra mysterious bits to me c- kind of emphasized uh, the importance of and, and just, I don't know, the, the latent cool factor of a lot of these places. And so I go National Treasure for that reason, not because Raiders didn't have amazing sets, but because I think that National Treasure really did a a great job of adding some interest to stuff that you may just look over and take for granted as American citizens. Mm -hmm. So that was illustrious, just like our stars and stripes. I didn't know what I was going to pick until just now. This was tough for me because the reason I made this category is because both of these movies, maybe because National Treasure was just such a surprise to me. I'm so surprised at myself that I love it. Mr. Arnold, Mr. Predator, you know, I loved it. I really love the sets in in National Treasure. Um, The fact that you find out later that they had these exact replicas of these these monuments and things and these buildings in Washington, D.C. They did such a good job. The reason I went Raiders, though, is because the environments and the sets always had a surprise. To me, one of the biggest things that this movie has going for it is from the moment that fucking ball, that <laughs> giant sphere <laughs> made of rolls, paper mache. It's know, iconic, dude. I I think about that. Yes, like, that's this movie. That, that boulder rolling mm-hmm. down is this movie. That is like the first image. You know how movies are visual and you, like when you think about a movie you like, the first thing, like with Jaws, I think about the Jaws hopping yeah. in the boat. You and I were texting earlier, Phil, and I was thinking, I was like, you know, this movie, what it, the reason, I'm, I put myself in eight-year-old shoes. Like, imagine being eight, 10, 15 in 1981 when this movie comes out. The first time you've ever seen it and technology hasn't evolved in a way and you don't have to appreciate from a CGI perspective, you can't trust any environment. After that, after you think it's a simple swap. He's going to move the idol and he's going to put the weighted sand that equ- equates the weight on it and he's going to be fine. No, that is not what happens. You can't trust a set from here on out. From here on out, you're like, well, what is it? What's going to happen in this? Where's What's the other shoe? Building? When's it going to drop? Yeah, they can't just go into the the well of souls. There's snakes down there. There's always a surprise. <laughs> 
<laughs> Dude, it's so true. And it totally makes sense why your wife is terrified of this movie. Yes. Because <laughs> from a child's perspective, you've got a giant rock rolling at you, <laughs> yes. spiders, snakes, whips. It's terrifying. Yes. She, it was so funny. I was like, hey, do you want to watch Raiders of the Lost Ark with me? And she's like, no. And I was like, <laughs> That's what? hilarious. She's watched some dark shit. <laughs> so I was like, what? why not? And she's like, that movie terrorized me. That's amazing. That's like, so funny. That speaks right. to the movie. I guess I'll watch it myself. Whatever. <laughs> and, it, and it was hard this time because I've seen this movie so many times, but this time I was really thinking like, what is it What is it like to be eight-year-old Kyle in 81 if I was eight that time or 10 or 15 seeing this for the first You'd time? 41 right now. No, yeah. no, sorry, you wouldn't be. That doesn't even make sense. No. You'd be 49. Ma that's Martini math right yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> Math-tini. Martini uh, math. I'm math just thinking, like, you can't trust a single set here because there's surprises. There's spike coming out of wall. There's snakes. I think that's incredible. Again, this is not because National Treasure didn't do a great job. I love the stairwell. That was my favorite part of that movie was the stairwell under the church. I love the path leading up to it. I love the knocking out of the, the casket, the stone-walled casket that's there. Like, everything about that that to me was perfect. I love discovering the treasure behind yeah. that wall. The fact that for a minute, I actually, this is crazy. Mr. Me, I thought maybe the treasure wasn't really there. For a second, I'm thinking the treasure's been taken. I actually believe that. And they actually fell me. for it. I that, did. That'd be the Netflix ending. And I loved it. So you this know? is this is just, just this is just an inch Raiders because I love what National Treasure did to me. That's what sold me about that movie. But I do go Raiders. Well, and also, I do think before we move on, we got to mention that I got serious Raiders vibes at the end when he like lit the torch and the whole yes. thing lit up that whole room. That was it was so like cool. true. The governments at that time had put all the artifacts in one building, and on that instantly made me think of Raiders when like the, yeah. at the last scene you see the giant warehouse of uh, you know artifacts that nobody knows about. You know, I just thought that was a cool whether it was intentional or not. You know, it was very similar. Yeah, that was a fun category. That was everything I hoped for, and where you guys delivered. Delivered. It is tied. Raiders. National Treasurer. Indiana Jones versus Ben Gates. Benjamin Franklin Gates. That's his full name. Well, on one hand, you've got a ruggedly handsome action-adventure star that is afraid of nothing who will go to the ends of the earth to discover something. And that's Riley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's Diane Kruger. That is Diane Kruger to a T. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you've got this nerdy historian that like wears a collar popped over a suit jacket that uh, <laughs> somehow gets this cute blonde girl to fall in love with him. I you know, that, I mean, harsh, but I, to me, it's this is not even close. Like, Indiana Jones is a legendary character, and he continued. I mean, it's called Indiana Jones, which it wasn't at the time, but then retroactively, now it's Indiana Jones and, and the Raiders of the Lost Ark and the, you know, Temple of Doom. That's a big Last giant and. So he became kind of a household name. N nobody knows who Benjamin Gates is. So Indiana Jones, easy. Uh, yeah, same. Indiana Jones for the same reason. If you're if you're going off the character aspect, he is the far more iconic character by a landslide. If you're going off of the who will kick whose ass in a cage match, then I, I hate to say Nicolas Cage loses his own namesake match in this situation. <laughs> Indiana Jones has the wherewithal to not engage in a sword. Indiana Jones works smarter, not harder. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like he guy pulls a sword that. on him, he shoots him in the stomach. He wants to go find the 
the Ark of the Covenant, he asks his co-professor for two grand. He's like, I'm not doing any of this shit myself. Was so, anybody else confused about, the, maybe this is not the time to talk about like critiques that we have. Critique it. National treasure. It's always okay. The time. They do this whole thing about how it's like stored and protected and how it's impossible to be stolen and blah, blah, blah. And first of all, where did they get all that information? They're, I guess they're at the Library of Congress. Did he pull all those documents from the shelves? Like, I don't understand where they got all that information. It just flew past that. And yeah. then Nicolas Cage is like, well, that's great, but did you know there's a gala next week and that's actually when they're going to be cleaning it and we'll sneak in and grab it then. It just all felt like so easy mm-hmm. and they just flew over it and hoped nobody would pay attention. You didn't buy into that? <laughs> no, you're right. Did yeah. anybody else notice that? Yeah, it care? was very, I mean, I was, yeah. It was, I, could, I was, I had to yeah. fast forward that I just needed rewind. a little bit more. I needed a, yeah. li- like a little, like, oh shit, that, okay, I, that could be possible. And that's where they he relied. Had, maybe like, he, it was something, one scene where he accidentally fell privy to a piece of inform- inside information that didn't, nobody else would know or something. It just felt like, how did he know about this gala? It was and based on a lot of assumptions. It was just like, random, like, he just yeah. happened to know this and it, like, so many things had to go right and then Bartha was just like, oh, that could work. I'm like, wait, why does Bartha think it could work? Why don't, Because Bartha's played off as an idiot, so it's like, why does he get sagged? I, I don't want to, I, you know, it's a Disney movie and yeah. you got a suspension of disbelief and all the things, so I don't want to over critique it, but there, that was just a little bit much for me. So my opinion doesn't matter here and I might come off as very uber contrarian here and I don't, I don't mean to be contrarian I want to hear here. your opinion. Hit it. I, we're not talking about The Last Crusade and we're not talking about Temple of Doom, but I actually love these movies in reverse. My order of love for the Indiana Jones movies goes, and I'm not including Crystal Skull in the later installments, it goes backwards from three to one. I actually love The Last Crusade the most. I love Temple of Doom because they embrace the darkness. For some reason, maybe it's the midterms, maybe I'm just weak in the knees, but I love the glossy-eyed admiration of Benjamin Franklin Gates here. I related to it. I love that he was nerdy because I'm nerdy. I'm not, I don't have any superpowers. I can't use a bullwhip. I don't even like going outside. Fuck nature, okay? Fuck ticks, leeches, all you parasites with no server. God created you and you ruined it. You ruined nature. I don't like going outside. What I relate we, to Gates. talking about movies. <laughs> this, this is actually, Hate now we're talking outdoors. about my personal problems. This is what I told my therapist today. I don't have a therapist. And that is why I'm against. My therapist fi- fired me. Proposition um, 17 <laughs> as put forth by the Tennessee government. Listen, and I am being a bit of a contrarian. Obviously, Indiana Jones wins this category, but I do want to say... <laughs> What is happening? <laughs> okay, that's enough for me. Moving on. I just want to say, I do love the optimism. And it's a timing thing. The point I wanted to make after two martinis was t- age and time makes movies seem different. And I didn't see this movie when I was younger. We're living in a nihilistic time. No one trusts the government. There's conspiracy theories everywhere. It felt good for an hour and 50 minutes or however long this movie was. It just I know mm. it's fiction, but there was some optimism. I, I just, at this time in my life, I really related to the character of Gates. And it wasn't... Him him saying that things are perfect and the country's perfect, but I just felt yeah. like it was good for my soul. It, it's entertainment. It is what it should have been. I love the optimism. I know nothing's perfect, but I just kind of needed some of that at the time. So I do admire that. Indiana Jones is a badass. Look how handsome he is. Look at the bullwhip. I love the bullwhip. He's in great shape. He and takes the his hat. shirt off. He's all yes. shredded at the age Harrison, of 38. It's good we, he's the only guy that's ever made a like sweaty, pitted out shirt look awesome. My yes. God, that shirt looks so disgusting and it's so sexy. I had to, I had to quit using deodorant to 
achieve the non-sweat pit look. I mean, I'm allergic to deodorant. Indiana Jones, on the other hand, Mr. Bullwhip swinging from the... Just doesn't even things. use it. Doesn't yeah. matter. It's Aaron Ford. But I did want to point out, I did love that optimism. It's an optimism I feel like we need, and I really enjoyed it. So sorry, I got a little no, sentimental there. No, that's well said. I love that moment that you just created. That was an emotional moment. I think we all feel that, too. Yeah. And I, I uh, you know, like I said, it's a love letter. Yes. The United States and the history that we all, you know, share mm-hmm. in and are a part of. And I actually got a little bit of that in both of these movies. Mm-hmm. You know, there was one, like, on one hand, you've got like a biblical artifact. It's like, would anybody make a movie about a biblical artifact today and make it cool? I don't know that it happens. The Bible's not cool in Hollywood these days. No, it's yeah. not. Nor is the United States of America and it's, and, you know, our history. So I think both of these movies kind of played like a, oh, that's kind of refreshing. Yeah. That's good to see. And I don't care if we go hours on this because we do it all the time, but this is pre-technology. You know, Indiana Jones specifically is pre-technology, pre-cell phone. We didn't know everybody's business. We didn't know who was what, who was anti-vax, pro-vax, who was Republican, Democrat. It was just one of those things where it's just like, you know what? We're neighbors. Let's chill. Yeah. And I dug that. I dug that a lot. Two categories. Sorry, two martinis made Uncle Kyle a little emotional, and I apologize. It's going to be satirical from here on out and nihilistic from here on out. Thank no, man. God. We need that. We need that. Uh, no, that, that was a good moment. Moments of truth there. <laughs> so earlier I said adventure films, a balance of adventure, action, comedy, and uh, romance. Romance, right? There, there's also this element of the unwilling heroine, right? Mm, like Diane yeah. Kruger and Nancy Allen, both, they go along with it, but at first they don't They don't seem like they're into it. They're not part of it. We got Marion, played by Nancy Allen, who was a first-time actress. She had, well, not first time in film. It was her first time, but she was a theatrical actress before. And then, and you'll love this, Drew, it, it, it took me a minute to remember, Diane Kruger came to prominence in Troy with Brad Pitt. That was the movie she played Helen. That's right. And so at the same time, she was kind of coming to prominence with that movie. Troy, uh, I feel like if I went back to watch Troy now, I would, I know too much about movies and I would hate it. Mm-hmm. I'm just never going to watch it again and remember that I really loved it. Yeah, I tore my Achilles hint tendon. It's horrible, but it's not like God worthy, <laughs> you know? It's not yeah. like make a movie about it worthy, you know? His Achilles heel. Um, but Abigail Turns Chase. It's all of our Achilles heel, yeah. like not original. All right. Seriously, they have surgery for them now, Greek gods. <laughs> Isn't that weird that that's what we call, we call that muscle because of a so weird. So piece wild. of mythology. It's serious. Abigail Chase versus Marion, our heroines. One can drink more than the other as far as we know. That's awesome, by the way. I love those drinks. To me, Marion is everything you want in a woman. She's fun. She's down for the ride. She is the way that she like melted that grizzled Harrison Ford in that scene. Like, you know, that drinking scene when she could out drink everybody in the bar. Like, I don't know. I just, I thought that she was, was awesome. a really well-rounded, multifaceted character. And I, I that, and that's no, that's no shit on Diane Kruger's character. I thought she was enjoyable too. All I can say is the girl in National Treasure couldn't even get the Declaration of Independence away from Nicolas Cage, no matter how hard she tried. It was like she'd grab it and then he'd just pull it away and then she'd just give up. I didn't like, she had no tenacity. Mm. Yeah, Um, also. So what did you go? uh, I go Raiders woman here because I think she's just tougher and uh, she'd probably beat the shit out of whatever her name was. (laughs) Yeah, she would. She'd beat the shit out of all three of us. She'd drink them under the table and then beat the shit out of them and then vomit and do it all over again, I feel like. I also didn't really love the scene when Nicolas Cage was just like yelling at her to shut up. Did you guys remember that scene? Oh, yeah. This is a precursor to like, her slapping up. women. He, he, she really doesn't shut her mouth, does she? If I give you the declaration, will, then you, will you be quiet? Like, it was just like, oh my God, what is Verbal happening? Abuse. He's really feisty about his American history. Yeah. You're I not saying, even I've from said here. Nancy Allen. God, it's Karen Allen. You're going to have to edit out every time I said Nancy Allen. Karen Allen. I know, I'm saying you're going to have to edit out. It's Karen <laughs> Allen. 
<laughs> almost did Nancy again. Allen's from RoboCop. <laughs> <laughs> give me give me some Karen Allen. Of course. Karen They're Allen. Karen Allen. Karen Allen. Karen Allen. It's a little slower. Separate the first name and the Karen last name. Karen Allen. Karen Allen. Future Phil, I'm an idiot. You're going to have to edit out Nancy Allen because she's in RoboCop for Karen Allen. Kyle is a moron who had two martinis. Kyle Allen. I, I Karen a lot about this, just personally. I did like Abigail as a character, I but the thing is, is you said this earlier with the romance. Their chemistry, a first-time cinema actress coming from the theater, going toe-to-toe with Han Solo, turned Indiana Jones. She nails it. Um, I love her confidence. There's something about a, you know, a female protagonist who kind of like wanes their sexuality, but doesn't, like, that's not her personality. It's one of her tools. She's brilliant. She's got a mm. huge liver. This could have been, this could have been Karen <laughs> Allen's liver versus that. This, this, that is not where I thought you were going. This could have been Marion's liver. liver. Just slip that in there. She's got a huge liver. A huge liver. This could have been Marion's liver versus Abigail Chase. I love the drinking. I love, you know what's funny? At an emotional level, I would just love to go drinking with, with uh, Karen Allen after, uh, you know, at one of these pubs here, wherever they were in Tunisia. But uh, fantastic from both of them. But yeah. Tunisian brandy is what they were drinking. Interesting. Actually, ah. I looked it up because I wanted to know what they were drinking. They were drinking a lot of it. I love, and there was a callback too. You know I'm a sucker for the callback. And then when it, the fact that like she's drinking with the guy, like Indiana Jones's nemesis, the other archaeologist, and you just know that she can just drink people under the table. And I love that she like has this as an advantage. And you're the whole time they're in that that tent together. You're like, this girl can drink. Like she's not drunk. She knows what she's doing. I love that. Unfortunately, Abigail is, she's she's really smart. I love her zeal. I love her passion for history and the country. But dude, Marion's a beast. It is four to two. There's no way out for National Treasure, but we do have one more category. And this is a good one. Which adventure are you? do you want to go on? You got this hunt for the declaration? Ooh, if good it's, category. Yeah. It's just you thinking about your personality. What, what hunt do you want to go on? I'll go National Treasure. Well, I was way more into that entire quest as a whole. I, th- I feel like it was a lot better fleshed out. And it, also, it's just the American history thing. It's just a personal thing. Like, I don't know that that's so much a commentary on the film itself as, mm-hmm. as it is just the subject matter. I was super into that quest, that whole quest. Whereas mm-hmm. like the Indiana Jones quest, I was like, I liked it from a theoretical standpoint and it was kind of like interesting in a way. But like I was in on like, let's find this Knights Templar treasure and like visit mm-hmm. all these monuments and, and find these and like discover parts of American history that no one's ever seen before. Like, I just love that idea because you know that's somewhere. You know there's there's shit that people hid that we still haven't discovered as a country and there there's stuff kind of probably hanging out and building in these old buildings that uh, we we don't know about. So it just kind of jogs the mind and really makes you think of uh, the possibilities. You guys know me. I'm going to stick to my guns. I am the great endorsement. And I feel like <laughs> Indiana Jones, if you hang out with Indiana Jones, you're going to be outside. You're going to get ticks, tarantulas, pythons. I mean, there is just too many creatures for my comfort. Yes, he is awesome. I am not. I think I would die pretty early on in that adventure. Like an Oregon Trail, I would probably get some kind of thing that kills me and they dump my coffin into a river. Um, at least, Typhoid fever. At least there's like this, we're going to be inside with National Treasure. Yeah, we're going to go into these public mon- monuments. There's HVAC. Yeah, you get a little uncomfortable under the church. You know, there's bones. There's a weird, but there's not as many outside. There's not as many creatures. I can deal with skeletons. I can't deal with little creepy crawlies. So I'm going to stay consistent with this entire show going back to episode one. I am a great endorsement. I'm not going into the forest. I'm going to go to the to the National Monument and I'm going to just hang out in the air conditioning. <laughs> 
And that's the funniest uh, reason. No, it's true. I, I I get uncomfortable thinking about just spending that much time outside. <laughs> it's just there's so many ways to die. There's a reason why we built shelter. It wasn't because we wanted to be comfortable. It was because we didn't want what was out there to come in here. That yeah, is the basis it's of it's, shelter. It's true. You need food, shelter, and water to survive. <laughs> what are we talking? <laughs> this, <laughs> is, <laughs> this is my reason. He's back on nature. Yeah, He's back on nature. Screw nature. No more nature. I think we need to take a torch to nature, and we just need to celebrate the inside. Drew, what do you think? I think Raiders of the Lost Ark was a was an epic adventure of biblical proportions, and it was a lot of fun, but it did feel far away. It did feel a little science fiction. And National Treasure, there was a closeness to home that like hit me, and it felt a little bit like a conspiracy theory that you kind of want to just like lean into, like maybe this is true. Like yeah, maybe yeah, we did, yeah. maybe we did we land on the moon? Like uh, you know, just like that you wanted to believe a little bit of what what they were kind of dipping into, and that to me made it feel I don't know, just more personal. I'll go na- National Treasure. And with that, and that was well said by the way, we got some emotional notes in this one. Four to three. What a great matchup. I know that the people listening were thinking if Raiders doesn't win this, I am deleting the show from my feed. We we did end up getting the classic over, but let's not let's not shit on National Treasure. What a fun movie. It was close. Four yeah. three. Yeah. It was. And the categories, they determine all. And they are straight from my ass. The ba- <laughs> the bakery, Kyle's Kyle's baker's dozen ass bakery. Yeah, is at where least these you didn't name from. your kid Astro Castro Astro. or something like The Baker's Bean. Half Dozen. Fucking. The Baker's Half Dozen. So anyway, this has been a hell ass of- Half Dozen. This has been a hell of a adventure. <laughs> ass Dozen Baker. And Kyle's Ass Dozen. little preview next week. This is Phil's reminder that we need to be previewing next week. We are going to do Raw Deal and Cobra. Now, poor Phil and Drew, I've been I've been deprived of my Arnold and my Sly for a little while. Well, we did Copland, but for Arnold- For a good reason. We sucked them off for like a year. I know. I know. But I have been begging Drew specifically. I'm like, can you just please watch all these movies and figure out what the best matchup for Cobra is? He sent me Raw Deal, and I was like, that is that is a great deal. Raw Deal is a great deal. We're going to do Arnold vs. Cobra. We're coming back to our roots. Nicolas Cage, it's been real, but geez, get off our podcast. Please divest. We don't need your money. We don't make any money. Please divest. We don't need you. Cage wow. T. We'll it, be back to Nick. We will. Sell that. Give, me, give us like and three just weeks, so and we'll be knows. back to what happens in Vegas. What happens is, is you can't help but look at the runs of these actors. And when you look at the runs, you're like, well, we got to do that movie. And what about that one? What about that one? And we, we did Nicolas Cage once, The Rock. And we're like, look at all these great movies that Cage did. We got to do all those. So there's still some we left on the table. We haven't done Raising Arizona. We haven't done uh, we haven't done Leaving Las Vegas. Um, but anyway, it's been we a hell of- We have done Gone in 60 Seconds. Yes. Matchstick Men. Oh, Matchstick Men is so good. Anyway, I think we bull whipped this episode into shape. I think we went on a mighty adventure. And I think a giant, ball, a giant boulder came after us on this episode. I'm Kyle. I'm Drew. And I'm Scene Bean. Fuck you. <laughs> I love you in the way that, that Karen Allen loves Nancy Allen that loves Harrison Ford. <laughs> Good night. Good night. You know, I have grown a tremendous amount of respect for cannibals. Have you now? Lately. Yeah, I was watching the Dahmer thing. I was like, you know, Cannibals have to show a, a huge amount of discipline. You know why? Because they can't eat everybody. And the fact that they can't eat everybody, every time a cannibal leaves their front door, they're immediately surrounded by their favorite food source. Yeah, when they walk true. outside, if there's a human on the sidewalk, they immediately are faced with what I would consider pizza. When I, It's like... <laughs> 
It's like if I walked out the front door and was surrounded by trays of crab rangoon. If if someone just walked yeah. up with a tray of crab rangoon, that's the, what cannibals face. Crab rangoon was riding bikes down the street. Yeah. It was in the car. It was it was yes. climbing trees. It's like if I go buy chinos from Banana Republic, I'm like, I hope these make my ass look good. These are great pants. A cannibal goes, he's like, you know what? This cashier looks delicious. Delicious. But I can't eat this person because I have to maintain cover. I have to lure this person. You know, 8 billion people on the planet. Dahmer 815. You call that a horror story. I call that discipline. Yeah, it's true. He could have mm -hmm. eaten way more than that. <laughs> That's a good bit. Yeah. It was a good bit. Yeah, we were waiting for you to come back, and so I was like, "I'm gonna." We're, yeah. We were just doing comedy bits. Ooh. I was trying to finish up my uh, my thought on the supporting. Apparently, cast had a here. reactive supporting cast thought that you have to react. It wasn't to. reactive. It was just.